Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Ah, what a crazy Thursday. Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise is the site. Adam Candy, Steve Cofield, Angel down here. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Lots trending at 2 o'clock. Lots trending. Uh, we're down here getting you ready for a Vegas Golden Knights game. 77 cent beers when the game is on. Selections like uh, Bud and Bud Light. So come on down. You can play the game at the William Hill Sportsbook and uh, watch it at two different bars. And there's TVs throughout the casino. But yeah, just 77 cents on the beers, Candy. You fired up? For 77 cent beers, I think I would be fired up after about $3. So it sounds great. So the Knights are off to this amazing start. But, you know, we all look at the schedule and we see, hey, there's been a ton of home games. They're, what, 13-2-1 at home. Uh, they've gotten a chance to play some of the teams that haven't been so great. But uh, we saw the Wild a little while back, and now the Avs are up again. This is one of the chief competitors. And if you noticed in the standings, Candy, VGK's gotten off to this amazing start. It's not like there's a ton of distance between them and the teams behind them. And the most interesting part of the whole thing, Steve, is that you've had COVID pauses for the top three teams in the West. VGK, the Avalanche, and the Minnesota Wild, who are 1-2-3 and are separated by four points, all also have games in hand over the rest of the division in addition to having more points than them. So while it's pretty clear who the top three are that are going to make it, there's still a little bit of hand fighting left for that number four spot who right now would take on VGK. So the goal right now... Seven and one, but five of those losses have come on the road, and here we are against the Avalanche. And I think everything for this season is measured, at least until the playoff, the Colorado Avalanche. We've seen them beat the Wild. We've seen them beat the Blues. I'm not worried about the number three and number four teams, but this Colorado team has lost once in regulation in its last ten games. They're finally seeming to get healthy as we get to about the 60% of the season mark here, and these are the games that we are supposed to measure the Golden Knights by. 6 o'clock with the puck drop, and uh, once Cofield and company is done, you can flip over to Fox Sports Las Vegas and check out the game over there. If you want an early look, 5 o'clock is the pregame, again, on 1340 and 100.9 FM. A lot more uh, Golden Knights preview coming up as the show moves along. Big day in the NBA, Candy. Trade deadline. Your thoughts about what went down today? Uh, I think every NBA GM has been down for those 77-cent beers at the Silver 7 since this morning because this trade deadline was drunk. This has been unbelievable, man. Uh, of course, Kyle Lowry, the one name who we thought was moving, doesn't end up going. But look at some of the other guys. The Orlando Magic just basically said, we hung up the shingle, come get whoever you want. Aaron Gordon's gone. Evan Fournier's gone. Nikola Vucevic goes to Chicago. What's going to be a really interesting pair with him and Zach Levine up there. Uh, Victor Oladipo goes to the Miami Heat. They've needed some scoring punch for a while, and Victor Oladipo can help give them that. Aaron Gordon going to Denver is a really interesting deal. They traded a little bit of future, giving up R.J. Hampton in a one. But the Denver in a West that is suddenly wide open with the Lakers' injuries, Denver really upgraded by getting Aaron Gordon as long as he's got full health on his side toward the end of the year. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see what sort of player Gordon is. I feel like all these guys who were in Orlando, even though they made the playoffs in the past, 
they're very underexposed. So in both the case of Aaron Gordon, even though you know he's a freaking dunk king, he's unbelievable, I feel like he's been underexposed. And same thing with uh, Vucevic, which brings us to the Bulls. What do you think the Bulls are trying to do here? I think the Bulls did a great thing here because they know that they can build this thing around Zach Levine, and they were not getting any consistency out of Wendell Carter Jr. Now, I'm a little worried about giving up picks. I kind of want to see what the protections look like on those picks. I'm not sure if that's been reported yet uh, because if the Bulls were able to lottery protect some of those picks, then that certainly reduces the amount of value that they gave up. But look, the East right now, Joel Embiid is hurt. The Bucks did not do anything at the deadline to upgrade. You look at the East, and you have to think the East, with the exception of your your Brooklyn Nets, yes, uh, is fairly open toward getting uh, you know with a path toward the conference finals. And the reason I say it is because the Nets don't have health right now, right? I mean, they're managing injuries with Harden and Kyrie, and and still sitting around waiting for Durant. The uh, the East really is incredible. You've got three teams up top. Third team are the Nets at thirty and fifteen, and then. Teams four on down to nine are somewhere between 22 and 21 and 20 and 23. And the Bulls are sitting in the 10 hole at 19 and 24. And really, you know, the funny thing is the Magic are, are much you know further down this year than they've been in past years. The Magic have kind of toiled between that 37 and 42 win mark, uh, you know, just outside the playoffs, maybe eking into the playoffs. Like the Magic and the the bulls don't seem like they're that far apart but the bulls are on the ascent and the magic are just kind of plateauing if not going down so i can see the philosophy change on both sides where the magic are like ah, that's enough we got to tear it down and the bulls are like hey you know what we have a chance here we got some building block let's add well yeah if you're looking at building around zach levine and kobe white then you say yeah we've got the pieces for the future whereas as good as vucevic is and he was an all-star this year nikola vucevic is 30 years old and so if you're the magic what more do you need to see out of what Vooch and company can do for you? You know it's over. They didn't, and to you know, to their credit, look, Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier's injuries this year killed them. They had an opportunity to do something this year. It just never came together, and I think they got wise to what was going on and made the moves that they did because this was a team that unfortunately saw some of its rise coincide with a time when the Celtics had really gone for it and they had their talent together and when LeBron was back in Cleveland. Big news of the day locally, and it's a pretty big you know, news day uh, nationally in college basketball. Another job, a big-time job, I think, is open in Oklahoma. We'll get to that. Well, Lon Kruger, our Lon Kruger, he's, uh, he's a lot of markets, Lon Kruger, but uh, we have a real uh, love for Lon Kruger here in Vegas for what he did for UNLV, getting him back to some relevance when he was a coach. Uh, his son has now taken over this week, and Kevin Kruger, we had speculated that Lon at some point – uh, when he did retire, would be coming back to be around the UNLV program, to be around his son. He loves Las Vegas. They've uh, just purchased a, another home in uh, Southern Highlands, so this is the retirement spot for Lon Kruger. And he announced today, or came out today, that he's going to retire just short of 700 wins in college basketball. And this is, a, this is the kind of guy you'll, you'll see people come out of the woodwork with stories about Lon Kruger the next couple of days, and then when Coaches versus Cancer is rolling out in just a couple of months with – Maybe not genuflecting, but the kind of guy that everyone likes, everyone respects. His career has been amazing. He was a uh, resurrector of many programs, successful at his alma mater in Kansas State and Illinois and Florida and UNLV. He's got uh, an Oklahoma and two trips to the Final Four. You're also talking about a guy, Candy, who when, you know, in a way, 
he may have been a better athlete than a coach, which is nuts because most people don't know him as an athlete. But he was a two-time Big 8 player of the year playing basketball. He was also a really good baseball player who played a season of minor leagues with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was a ninth-round pick of the Atlanta Hawks. And believe it or not, he actually got invited at one point to the training camp of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> so talk about a career on and off the court, the field, pretty amazing stuff. So we're really happy to you know hear that uh, Lon Kruger has uh, you know, decided to hang it up at 68 years old and did a great job here and looking forward to seeing him more around Las Vegas. Well, Steve, let me ask you a question because you've been around this town as long as I have, and you've been around college basketball uh, quite a long time, too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a respect term, sir. It's a (laughs) respect term. Thank you. Um, I I, I would say the same thing about Long Kruger. (laughs) Yes. I cannot remember. You know, you, you hang around this long enough, and you hear the stories about everybody, right? Like, yeah. oh, he's you know oh, behind the scenes, right? Oh, I remember that one time, right? You hear the stories about how certain people act when the camera is off or when the reporters aren't around, et cetera, et cetera. Lon Kruger's not that guy. Lon Kruger's never been that guy. He's not the guy that that you know that has ever generated that sort of feeling in my experience at least around this town and uh, in covering the sport i've just never heard that about him and that's so rare mm-hmm. especially around college athletics yep never down to earth all the time if you feel like uh, you know you're the same level as him he could be cocky he could be you know off-putting uh, that's never been the case and you, you see how his son turned out and kevin who's now going to be leading the unlv program let's get to uh, a little more on lon kruger uh coming up Uh, Later in the hour, we're going to talk to Xavier Pope. We'll get an update from the legal side on what's happening with Deshaun Watson. With 77-cent Bud Light bottles, Golden Knights hockey game nights are great at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Cofield and Company is live at the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Road game for the Golden Knights are taking on the Avalanche, 6 o'clock with the puck drop. And, yeah, that's when the beers go to 77 cents. All over the property here at Silver Sevens. You're talking about Bud, Bud Light, Shock Top, and Mick Ultra, and plenty of spots to watch the game. Really good spot either at the Corona Cantina or over at the Silver and Gold Bar. So as time moves along here, uh, Adam Candy, well, one, we found out today that Lon Kruger is going to retire at Oklahoma. So we'll have some guesses at uh, maybe candidates for the Oklahoma job, and we'll talk more about Lon's legacy, but clearly his legacy is embodied by Kevin Kruger, who's taken over the UNLV program. You think there are some interesting details that, or maybe some conclusions you can have coming out of this contract, which uh, is a depressed contract from where TJ Altsberger was making 1.1 up to 1.5 million dollars. Kevin Kruger starts at 750, I think, finishes up in his fifth year at 875. So, what do we have? Well, what we have is some coverage in the local media, in the RJ specifically, that goes along with what I was talking about yesterday. Uh, I'm glad to see it happen because we need to talk about the money in this. Is a significant factor in what happened with UNLV hiring Kevin Kruger. I'm not telling you that's why they made the hire, but I'm telling you they certainly took an opportunity with a budget that has been in peril this past year to pay basketball coach a lot less than... Why it's not being discussed as something that is a change of direction for Desiree Reed Francois because her there and she paid 
Royal basically the same money that she's paying to TJ Otzelberger, which were both big steps up in what UNLV has traditionally paid those two spots. When you get up into that quarter to one and a half million dollar range, you're paying at the upper end of the Mountain West. I mean, Brian Dutcher is making 0.6 down at San Diego State, and he's the dean of conference coaches when it comes to how much uh, money he's being paid. So Kevin Kruger, as you mentioned, 775 up into the 800,000s. Look, I understand UNLV has significant budget problems here, right? Like UNLV had more than a million dollars taken away from its allocation from the state legislature last because of the we of course know they had to uh, lay off some staff and cut some hours and you know the live event staff and travel coordinators and things like that because obviously there are no games and there's no ticket revenue everyone's going through hard times i just wonder if uh using act that kevin krueger doesn't have and that's what was cited in the rj by sam gordon is kind of an excuse that doesn't need to be thrown out there different candidates then you don't say well we paid him less because he has less experience pay the coach worth, and if you think he's worth as much as the 14 other coaches that you had in here then don't use the excuse that he had less experience be honest about the fact that look the budget is what it is and we can't afford to pay what we normally would pay and i'm not saying that's why kevin Kruger is here but be honest about the fact that we're in tough financial times and we paid our coach a lot less than the guy who left. They're saving big-time money on that. <laughs> Steve, one other thing jumped out at me from that article, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure I knew this number. I knew San Jose State doesn't anything, but come on. Paying Prilo, what is it, 285 before he left? Is that the number? 285000 a year? That doesn't belong in the same conference. That's unbelievable. Try to get away with paying your coach that bring in someone who turns around that program who in the hell is going to come in and take that money to coach san jose state yeah not the uh, easiest job to be a winner at and then you're not really compensating someone so uh, i assume they're going to opt that but who the hell knows we'll see what they come up with at san jose state uh, we'll get back into kevin kruger lon kruger the oklahoma job uh, other comings and goings that come out of or could come out of this uh, Lon Kruger retirement. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Xavier Pope joins us every Thursday. He's our Thursday legal analyst. Uh, gives uh, great opinions on uh, culture in the sports world. Xavier is on the way. Anytime the Golden Knights are on TV, watch the game at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens and grab your 77 cent Bud Light bottles. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. ESPN Las Vegas, we're hanging out at Silver Sevens on a Thursday, and our guy Xavier Pope is with us. We got some heavy topics today, we got some light stuff as well. Uh, I haven't really touched on the Deshaun Watson situation much because it is a very touchy situation. Uh, you want to believe women, but. Like I said, this is really interesting. I don't want to put my foot in, in my mouth here, but uh, we'll cover this from a legal aspect as well. So, I don't know. Give me your take on what's going on here. We've got at least 16 allegations. We may have uh, upwards of 22 total. So, give me your overall read here as this thing's developed over the last 10 days. Steve, I think what the interesting part about that is that the media's response to this is more muted than any other public sexual assault case that we've 
I've seen in recent memory, don't you think? Yes. There has to be a reason why the media has been so shy about wading into this issue and automatically labeling of Deshaun Watson and also actions by the Texans or the National Football League. Everything has been really, and that goes to, um, that gives one's pause in terms of, you know, we know this, it believe women, and that's an important aspect of these cases and making sure they are taking they're taken seriously. I am really interested in, you know, based on what the limited amount of information that's been released in terms of these claims, there are were, you know, what Deshaun Watson puts his, you know, penis next to someone's head, and, you know, these were, were, were women that were uh, maybe various uh, spa treatments and, uh, or someone that has also, uh, there's an allegation of someone coming to his home. Um, but then you see the response from Deshaun Watson's attorney, Rusty Harden, that said that this, that there was evidence that there was a strong, it was strong evidence that it was a consensual relationship between Deshaun Watson and this woman. And then she allegedly is extorting him. And then there's this, he said there's an attention seeking lawyer on Instagram. Um, so there's this element of social media, the element of whatever evidence that Deshaun Watson's lawyers have, the murky nature of some of the allegations themselves, um, the shyness of the, the media to, to really weigh on this one way or another. And then also the fact there aren't any, there isn't a, that, that we know of an ongoing criminal investigation of Deshaun Watson. And so um, there are other cases that there were no criminal investigations going on. We, I know that Derrick Rose civil trial you know there was no criminal charges that were filed against Derrick Rose um uh, so that I, I think is the big part of this is the fact that there isn't a criminal component to it why is there a criminal component of it we know that rape victims sexual assault victims come to the police far less um so I guess unpacking all the complexities of this case and attempting to hey stand back and just wait some more facts come out and I, I actually think that this is not the, and I know that Steve, you introduced this topic by saying, hey, I don't want to put my foot in my mouth. And I think that no one wants to put their foot in their mouth. And I think that's what we've been seeing in this particular case. Xavier Pope's with us on Cofield and Company. All right, real heavy topic. I mean, we just have, uh, you know, back-to-back disasters with uh, mass shootings. And I just want your general thought on, you know, seemingly uh, incels coming out all angry. The pandemic kind of shut this down, but we're back to, you know, going out to grocery stores and places of business and someone walking in and blowing away eight, ten people. Uh, we're back at these tough times again, and we're asking the same questions about assault rifles. Gun control now. Universal background checks now. Gun shows, getting them into order. We have to be able to take really co- common sense, comprehensive um, regulations and, and, and it involving guns. You no know one's going to take your guns. If you have a gun lawfully, um, a gun that is not a killing machine, then you're going to have your gun. You're going to go get, you're going to go hunt. You're going to put your deer on your, in your basement. Um, and I think the people that are really afraid of the slippery slope, I understand the slippery slope of rights because guess what? I'm a black man and the slippery slope of losing rights is, doesn't feel so great. Um, so I think the people that are really afraid of losing their guns, I think that they are over overreacting significantly um the ar-15 does not need to be a weapon that people own um, and i can firmly state that 
we need to start having political conversations where there isn't such a binary approach to how we do things. Take my guns or ban all guns. Um, that's not common sense way to approach the discussion about gun control. We need to be able to stop people from killing other people. We need to have more mental um, and healthcare services. We need to have police that respond to situations with mental health care professionals as well. We need to be able to address the white supremacist domestic terrorist problem in our country. We saw what happened in the Capitol. And we don't do anything about these mass shootings in terms of how we address some of the societal issues, then they are, they are going to continue. And you saw that at first people thought because of the appearance of the shooter um, and that in Colorado that the person was white and then people had a large discussion about whether, about, about white supremacist, white supremacist domestic terrorism. And then it turns out that it trends that he's Muslim well, guess what? If you're allowing people to shoot other people and and you're not following background, universal background checks and you are you have all these different holes and ways for people to get guns and then your people are not getting properly prosecuted for it, then the real terrorists are going to see that this works and then they're going to everyone decide to copy these other guys and find ways to get through to cause damage. So what, what, in terms of approaching these issues, we have to look at the worst possible scenario and then draw ourselves in to be able to get common sense solutions, meanwhile having a nuanced way to be able to accept where people are coming from, but ultimately solve a problem of stopping people from killing people, stop people from hitting people, and then start having a grown-up country. It's time for America to grow up from all the muckety-muck that keeps us in these cultural identity politic conversations and not into real um, lasting change and common sense legislation. Xavier Pope is with us on Cofield & Company. He's an attorney. He's based out of Chicago. Uh, we got an interesting story, interesting story here. Um, but before we get to it, I got to ask you, uh, you seem to be lamenting uh, your progress in terms of your fitness the other day. Are you, you okay? I think I think you were, uh, were you showing some jealousy of someone's abs? No, I, I've been going hard in the paint. <laughs> I know, I see um, it. Uh, I've done what it's been a good 350 push-ups in the last five days. Nice. Um, Herschel Walker. I've, I've, I've run almost 30 miles, um, about a good 50 chin-ups and about a good <laughs> four to five miles of, of incline sprints. Nice. So I've been going hard in the paint. Um, but I saw Russell Westbrook and I saw his abs and I, I just got inspired, you know? Um, okay. And I'm just a dude that likes to push myself. Man. There you go, and, and do better, and be better, and be at the top of my game. Whether it's yoga, whether it's fitness, whether it's being on top of these important social issues, I want to be on the top of my game. Man. Well, this is a scary story here, uh, and it's a lesson. Hey, be careful what you put in your body. In this case, I don't know that people would, you know, be able to read the label and understand that they were in danger. But uh, UFC uh, Hall of Famer Stefan Bonner is now on the list of many people who are going after a company based in Vegas called Real Water. Uh, Bonner claims that he suffered liver failure, was hospitalized for five days after drinking the product. Uh, another local woman, Cheryl Nally, uh, she was hospitalized with liver failure. She says that her family dog drank Real Water and died. What kind of case do they have here, and what sort of defense can you put up for Real Water? first case they would have in terms of the product's liability claim, uh, in terms of it you know, harming them, um, the product itself, um, and then also um, 
any discovery that would, would come about and determine how they how they treated the water and any labeling they had on the product in terms of it being alkaline water or how pure it was, whatever, some of those claims could be um, some false advertising. Uh, and so you may have multiple claims, not only for the damage of the product itself, but also how it was, was marketed. And I think it's, they're in trouble um, because they were now, they were told to kind of take the product off the shelves. And a lot, I drink alkaline water. I have a, I have a clubhouse room that is dedicated to al- alkaline water. <laughs> and a lot of people being, oh, is it alkaline water itself? No, maybe this really, I had never heard of this company before. Robo, had you, Steve? I had actually. Yeah, because it's a, uh, it's a Vegas product. Believe it or not, uh, we had bounced around at the station, myself and another uh, sales rep, going out and trying to pitch them on a deal. You know, to advertise. I'm I like, oh, oh, that we we escaped on that one. Yeah, man, that you definitely escaped on that one. It also goes to show you why certain companies are in business for years and years and years, and others are not. Right. Um, and scaling as a business can sometimes cost of 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 skipping corners and sacrificing the quality and the value of your product, particularly if you've not been in the scaling business before. And what I see probably from Real Water is they, you know, they may have attempted to create a product in a way that may have been not as ethical as as they may have posited to the public. And that people drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, um, and people have gotten harmed and now they're going to be suffering the consequences. Um, especially being told you, you can't sell your product anymore. Right. There's no way if they were a giant multinational corporation, they would have been told not to sell their water. So there are, there are, uh, you have to consider they are still a little guy in terms of on the business spectrum. And I don't necessarily see them recovering from a case like this when the very water is considered to be something you drink. That's healthy. That's, that's just essential. It does basic water. I can't drink you. We've got another topic uh, concerning diversity in the workplace. As we try to give more people from different backgrounds opportunities, and man, you know, in some ways, I guess Megan McCain is doing her job by saying stuff that gets people all riled up. But I, I actually, I think it's really funny coming from her as the the source on this one. Uh, she just recently was saying that we've uh, only had one Asian American host uh, co-host her show. Uh, does that mean that one of us should be leaving because there's not enough representation? We're talking. What we're talking about here is identity politics more important than qualifications for the job. I've been talking about this for like 30 years now on radio. This essentially goes back to pushing back on what you would call uh, or what people would throw out there. Oh, this is affirmative action. The best candidate is not getting the job. I find this hilarious for Meghan McCain, who comes from a big name family, a rich family like I wish people, especially in broadcasting, would look in the mirror, Xavier, and go, you know, I'm pretty lucky to get this opportunity. I did have a head start. If she doesn't realize that, how do we ever fix this problem? Megan McCain is a white supremacist. Really? It goes that far? Yeah, I mean, and my my point is that you don't have to burn a cross to be a bigot. And she exercises soccer mom racism. And I think that people need to be able to really come to grips with the fact that there are a lot of people who think like Megan McCain that are allowed to have these really latent racist views to be in mainstream America, walk around and say these different things. And they, they are people we see in our grocery stores and our neighborhoods and, and, and essentially are beating back change. And they believe because their daddy gave it to them that it's, it's legitimate and that they're, you know, they quote unquote work hard 
and they deserve some transferred um, position as a result of that. But but anyone that is a person of color, it's the it's affirmative action, it's identity politics. The automatic assumption is that you don't belong, but you don't belong has been a instrument and a tool of racism for a very long time. Whites only. I mean, it's all it, it's just it's just another way to say the same thing. It's just 2021. And bigots have found different ways to narrow to, to move move the move the needle in terms of what they're able to say that's able to be put on American television and it and being something that, that, sh- that a media American share that view. What she exercises what I've coined white vapidity, this investment and the subtle art of not giving a S about anyone or anything and wanting to change the conversation to not even having the conversation and being upset and be offended by the very fact that the conversation is raised. So first you're telling people that they don't belong and you're questioning people qualifications when you have been nepotized yourself. And then it's the second part of wanting to just not even have the conversations about inequality at all. And what that does is we keep being in this perpetual conversation where she's in the center of every conversation as opposed to real lasting and meaningful change for equity in our society. Xavier's going to stick with us as uh, we take a break here. But on the way back, we got to get to uh, some more sports angles, including his hometown Bears just being vicious, outright vicious on social media. Golden Knights games and 77-cent Bud Light bottles. Silver 7's Hotel and Casino has you hooked up. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Back here on ESPN Las Vegas at Silver 7s on a Thursday. Busy day. A lot of draft talk later on. A lot of draft talk as we're going to have in a draft expert, and then we're going to cover two different teams, the Seahawks and the Steelers, and their path to the draft, the Bears. The Bears are right there in that uh, 18, 19, 20 range. I would think they would want to invest in a quarterback. Maybe they move up. Xavier, what were they doing to the hometown folks by simply tweeting out a picture of Andy Dalton with QB1 underneath it? I mean, was it a slow day for the social media team? And they're like, you know what, let's go full troll and really piss people off. They thought that was a flex, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, this is amazing, and you will like this. And that's not what the Bears got. Um, they were absolutely eviscerated on social media by people laughing at them for <laughs> Andy Dalton was already a figure that people criticized heavily when he was with the Cincinnati Bengals, even though he was a, you know, he, he, he was a winning quarterback in terms of that team, never getting them through pay, playoff wins, but he was a reasonably winning quarterback, but um, did not display um, talents that made him exceptional. He was, you know, people considered him to be mediocre for years. Uh, but him being the starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears when the Bears, it was rumored that the Bears were potentially get Russell Wilson and then having this guy be QB1 is flat out laughable. And it just goes back to the tradition of Chicago quarterbacks being incredibly mediocre for as long as I've been alive and and celebrating the mediocrity. That's pretty what it is. And I think that's the, the, the internal joke for our Chicago fans, really is that this is what we tried out all the time. Love it. <laughs> Average quarterback. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Sports TV, I, I got to ask you this one, because we, we've been getting into the debate recently about the uh, discussions, and they've been pretty funny, 
uh, between Candace Parker and Shaq. Shaq is kind of like the – he's playing the role of like the old jackass. He loves old-style old, ba- old style basketball, and Candace Parker is just giving him the, the side eye all the time. Like, you old fool. Um, do you like this? Is this – is this good for women in broadcasting? Do you look at it as a bit? We had one of our contributors was like, it's a bit. I'm just getting tired of this. What do you think of it? I think the guys who think it's a bit are upset that there's a woman in, on a set. I think this, even if it's a bit, so what? Inside the NBA, has tons of bits. They have you know, Shaq racing Kenny to the board and because of Kenny's knees. They have Charles Barkley doing little silly things. And they have Shaq tripping over... You know, it wasn't a bit, but it came a bit with Shaq tripping over a computer cord. Um, they, they, they have so many different bits. That yeah. they, that's what a studio shoot show does. They redefine the studio show, creating bits. And if you have a woman that is displaying her intelligence, you know, there was just recently she, you know, they were talking about her being Defensive Player of the Year, and Shaq, you know, acts surprised, and she said, and she says to Shaq, you know, get the surprise out of your face, and that was hilarious. Yeah. And for for me, it, what it does is is legitimize women as, as if they actually need to be legitimized as being sports analysts and being able to hold their own on a male studio show, um, and also bring a legitimacy where they would have their own studio show with their with WNBA whatever, and those also can be entertaining as well. So men. Um, you gotta realize that women are gonna be in society doing their thing, and you gotta be able to bow down and respect. Like, and, and that's just what it is. Like, it's not that they are dominating the conversation. Um, men are frustrated that women are talking about facilities in NCAA basketball and talking about world <laughs> revenue sports. Yeah, like the revenue is why they should give men more. You idiots! What are you talking about? And I, if, if you make that argument that women are deserving less because of the, the revenue, that means you mean you think that everyone should be paid then, right? Because you can't have two in the same pot. Anyway, men are making it stupid. Xavier, let's talk about making changes and, and, and getting into areas where people are not generally you know, used to seeing, say, women in sports broadcasting or women on a sports talk radio show. How about African-Americans in ownership, in baseball, in Boston? Oh, my God. How important is this that LeBron has bought in whatever the stake is in the Fenway group and is now a part owner of the Red Sox? How important is it for, again, diversity and advancement and you know living out dreams of you can actually achieve things that just have not been achieved in the past. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a big deal, um, Steve, but it should have happened a long time ago. There, there are enough wealthy African-Americans um, to be able to have more major, majority stakeholders in professional sports. Um, it's, not all about, it's not always about money. We talked earlier about Megan McCain and her the nepotism put her in the position to be on The View. That same nepotism exists in private equity circles as well and putting together certain groups that have certain relationships with certain other wealthy groups be able to purchase teams. We saw that when um, the the former owner of the Carolina Panthers, he was forced to sell his team. And then there was a you know there was a relationship with another football team uh, and that was how that owner became an ownership group. And when there were African-Americans like Diddy and we're at talking about purchasing the team, we don't even know where they were even seriously considered. And so professional sports leagues, in addition to having policies to make sure their leadership reflects 
the people on the field, I think there needs to be an investment in creating investments to purchase sports teams. So LeBron James, kudos to him. He is making waves in sports, entertainment, media. But that's the type of guy he is. He's a special breed of person. Um, but there needs to also be um, some some leeway in terms of opening the space um, for a diverse ownership as well across professional sports. Let's uh, let's flip the conversation back to uh, a really important uh, real world issue, and that was a real world issue as well. But uh, did you get your vaccine? Is it available? What's going on in Chicago? Our entire show. Uh, I'm not exactly sure that we deserve this, but uh, in Nevada, if you were part of the media, you actually could get the shot. Um, I'm getting close. Well, the I guess the top limit for the age is getting close to my age, or where I'd be eligible eligible pretty soon. But our entire show has been vaccinated. We've got a crew of like five or six different people who contribute. What's going on in Chicago? Have you gotten vaccinated yet? Great question. I believe that the question about whether someone's got vaccinated shouldn't be asked because you know HIPAA, you know, and private medical decisions that people make. LeBron James asked about he was going to get vaccinated and yeah. he said that was between himself his family and his doctor and i believe that people he was criticized for that by by people thinking that he was an anti-vaxxer just because he would answer the question no he didn't answer the question because this is his private personal medical decision and people's personal private medical uh condition is their own that's not saying that you can't say people shouldn't be vaccinated you can still advocate for people getting vaccinated or and still at the same time respect people saying that they want, they want to keep their vaccination decisions private. Now, as for me, I will be getting vaccinated on, on Saturday afternoon. But um, you know how I look at these things very nuanced and I can still support people getting vaccinated and at the same time say, hey, if people want to keep that to themselves, that's perfectly fine. I saw a photo the other day of uh, Magic Johnson, Danny Trejo, and Arsenio Hall all together holding up their vaccination cards. How important is this uh, that celebrities are showing they're vaccinated? I, I, I don't know. In a way, I'm like, do we really need this? Do we really need some sort of role models out there to to show that it's safe? I, I don't know. I'm confused by this. I don't want to sound like an archaic old jackass. But what do you think of celebrities have to having to be out front and show people, hey, this is OK? We've we've had sitting presidents do it. We've had a donut company do it. <laughs> yeah. We've had athletes and celebrities do it. This is everyone feeling there. They need to be able to pitch in and make sure we return to a society that's normal. Wearing masks, having to be away from our families and friends, not being able to do the things that we used to do sucked. That's how we've even seen the increase in the amount of of depression and all that. We've seen that. We want a better, we want a society that's open, that people get back to normal. And I think that people that are contributing to a, a, a culture of saying vaccines are safe and follow science and don't be afraid to get vaccinated so we can all get back to a society. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a, you know, it, it is a overall message. I mean, I do think that you can't just put up a, a picture of being vaccinated without educating people about vaccines. And you know, I didn't even know until this pandemic that the, the flu vaccine only had a certain, like a 40 to 60% efficacy rate. That was pretty low. I, I was not aware of this. And so to know that the flu vaccine has, and I think a lot of people talk about not getting a flu shot as a result of that. 
and not, you know, inherently knowing that the flu shot does make them safer and then choosing not to take a COVID vaccine shot. Well, now you know that vaccine, you know, you have a 66% in Johnson & Johnson and have a, you know, an over 90% efficacy rate for the Moderna uh, and um, it's Pfizer vaccine, which I'm taking the Pfizer vaccine. So you have a society and a culture by people that are driving the conversations about culture. You've seen the increase in the African-American community. There's statistics to show this skyrocket the amount of people that support vaccination. So it's working. Good. Yeah, good. You had a list you put out the other day, things that will or should never come back once the pandemic yes. is completely clear. You're listing. I'm not happy with the list. There's a couple of things here I might still want. Um your list included the middle seat on the plane should go away. No more hot, no more hot salad bars. Crowded subway cars out. Coughing in your hand out, and working in an office out. Yeah, dude. Yeah, and a lot of people agree with me. It's, it, no one, who likes the middle seat on the plane? <laughs> no, there's no, no person around that's going to say, "Give me the middle seat. I'm stoked." No one's going to say that. <laughs> you get the middle seat because there aren't any tickets left here. Or, you know, you just have to, you know, it's cheaper or whatever. So that's going to be out. Crowded movie theaters. I understand people like the nostalgia of watching a film, but now I can pop my own popcorn at home. I, you know, they're really great quality TVs. You can actually purchase great quality speakers to have the speak, speak, uh, theater quality. And in your own home, instead of sitting on, like, where everyone's sitting in, on the same seat all day, every day, like, I'm going to sit in someone else's couch and watch television. Like, does it? It seems an outdated mode to watch a movie. Um, crowded subways are disgusting. They've always been disgusting. They should, shouldn't exist. And we have to be more efficient about transportation. And hot, uh, how many times we've seen people eat from the hot bar or the salad bar? We watch them go, ugh, gross. And we still go get something to eat from that same <laughs> bar buffet anyway. We're, that was so disgusting. Oh, my God. No way. I, I love that. I, I want the salad bars to come back. I want the hot the hot buffets to come back. Because you're disgusting, Steve. I, I am. I readily admit that. I am I am a slob. Um, the, yeah, the coughing in your hand thing is ridiculous. Uh, the other thing is we don't need handshakes anymore. We don't need we don't need the test of strength. It's gross. Not enough people wash their hands. They are coughing into their hands or sneezing into their hands. So that's out. Yes. And I'll give you the other one because I really I haven't worked in an office because I do all my prep for radio uh, at home and I've done that for like the last fifteen years. There really is, there are very few needs to have office space, right? What's what's the freaking point and I think everyone can adjust. Now, here's the thing. Can everyone adjust to the level where they're still motivated and not distracted? That'll be a test. I don't think so. You know, there's so many people I know that have gotten, new, gotten to new hobbies or picked up a hobby they've been wanting to take up for a while. Have been, they've been working out more. Some people have been. That's okay. Um, there's there people who've been, you know, taking time to meditate and um, read a book or, you know, maybe start a, a second business. Just whatever. I feel like the amount of time we spent commuting and doing these other, this busy, taking up like 40, 50 hours out of your week. And so I feel like people have had more time to also sleep as well. I think with a society that's open and you have the opportunity to use your time in different ways, I feel like it's going to be less stressful. We may even end the, we may go to the four hour work day and people just realizing that having a more full and rich life it's going to be a better, happy society, a more productive society. Maybe they will improve the mental health of our society. And so I think that there are a lot of implications of getting out of doing things just because we did it. Before. As always, that was awesome. Appreciate it. Thank you, Xavier.
Good luck, my man. Big 3 o'clock hour of football talk, NFL draft talk on the way with Steelers expert Brooke Pryor and one of the draft gurus from pro football focus, Austin Gale. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.